two weeks from today, I'm preaching at the U Church I came out of in Portsmouth because they're uh, between ministers right now. And I had to get my material into them two weeks ahead, which is unheard of to me. <laughs> and I got it done, but I was thinking to myself, do they do that every week to people like they're regular people? I, I just can't figure out things that far ahead. And so knowing that, it may not surprise you that last Sunday after church, we had a little meeting and several folks were gathered in my office. And I happened to mention that this Sunday, you know, a week ahead when it was that Sunday, was Palm Sunday and Holy Week was coming up. And our theme this month was truth. And I wasn't sure if there was any connection or coherence between those things. And I was just wondering about that out loud. And Neil Ferreira spoke up. And he said, didn't Pontius Pilate have something to say about truth? And I'm sure I gave him a blank look because I didn't recall that. And he went and found a Bible and opened it up and leafed around for a minute. And he was like, there it is, right here in the gospel according to John. And he shared it. And I was grateful. None of the four gospels that made it into the Bible are accurate history. They are different versions of the Jesus story with differing sources all written down decades after Jesus died. John is the latest of the four and the most mystical. In the reading we heard this morning, Pilate and Jesus are having a conversation, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is speaking mystically, but Pilate hears him literally and asks, so you are a king? And Jesus answers, again, in a more mystical way, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? Like I said, this is Palm Sunday the holy day that marks that time when Jesus and his followers who had been traveling around the countryside preaching and teaching and healing when they came into Jerusalem for Passover. The story tells us that Jesus is welcomed as a hero with people lining the streets and waving palm branches and cheering Hosanna which basically means hooray. But you know, the crowd which adores Jesus on Sunday will turn against him before the end of the week. The Gospels tell a story of betrayal and suffering and death. We could talk about how much of this story is historically accurate. We could argue about this, and people do, though no one knows for sure what really happened. 
But who wants to waste their time arguing? Because there is plenty of truth in this story, isn't there? Hard truth, like when people say they are with you and they support you until they turn against you. They even lie to you and betray you. And there's the truth that when people gather together in a crowd, especially if they are anxious or afraid, that things often don't turn out well. And there's the truth that people who speak out and say challenging and uncomfortable things, particularly if they speak that truth to power, you know there's often a cost to pay for doing that, right? We just sang about that. On Friday of this week, I will be here from noon until 3 o'clock holding open a space for us to gather, those of us who want to come and be here, keeping our lovely stained glass Jesus company. We'll hear accounts from Jesus' last days from Mark, which is the earliest gospel of the four. We'll sit with that sad and hard story and with the silence and try to be open to what it is we need to hear. We will watch and wonder for how this old story might speak truth to us in our lives in these days. I need this. It's one of the ways I get ready for Easter. And if you do too, please come and know you can stay for as long or as short as you wish. Here's what I know to be true. That the way to get to light and joy is by passing through the shadows and the struggle. To face what is hard and fearful as best you can to trust that you will have companions on the way, that even death is not the end of the story, that in the end, love wins, and that we are invited to put our faith and our hope there, to trust that a faithful life is made by putting one foot in front of the other, And by reaching out your hands and by being open, that it's more about how you act than what you say. It pains me and it saddens me that so many people still see religion as about having the right answers, that they equate faith with certainty. And if that works for you, it probably doesn't because you're here in this church, unless you maybe got here by accident or something and stayed for coffee hour. But if it works for you, who am I to criticize that? Because it does work for some people, right? And if it works for them, more power to them. 
as long as they don't use their faith to oppress others. But if you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, it doesn't seem that Jesus was one of those literalists. He saved his harshest criticism for the Pharisees, those who interpreted the law strictly and were self-righteous about it. I'm grateful that in this tradition we can bring an openness and a spirit of curiosity to these big religious and spiritual questions. That we have some spaciousness within which to wonder about these things and ask, is there truth in here that is life-giving for me? Or am I called to explore a different way? I'm grateful for the fact that it was the openness of the UU Church that helped me to find my way back to a more lively and liberating version of Christianity. And so grateful for how this search brought me unexpected joy as I found I could reimagine and reinterpret and redeem language and stories that I thought had been lost to me. Back when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of studying with the feminist theologian Carter Hayward. And in my final year, working as her teaching assistant for her Christology class, among her many books, there's one, and you can see because of all the flags I put on it, I've really benefited from this one called Saving Jesus from Those Who Are Right, Rethinking What It Means to Be Christian. Carter says that she originally thought of this book as a response to the so-called religious right, but then she began to see those who are right in a wider way. She writes, as all persons whose socio-political commitments are hardened fast, People who are so sure they're right, they don't seem to notice moral complexity and don't want to be bothered by those who do. Those who are right, Carter says, can be any of us. And this is most of us, at least some of the time, so set in our ways or judgments that we assume that we have it politically, intellectually, or spiritually. In other words, there are people on the left who can be as sure and as self-righteous as those on the right, as certain that they have cornered the market on the truth. And this is not the way that the best religious teachers, ancient and modern, commend to us I just learned yesterday there's a new movie just out this weekend called Mary Magdalene. Have you heard about it? It tells the story, the Jesus story, from the perspective of the woman who has been vilified over the centuries for her friendship with Jesus. The movie is being described as the reverent feminist take on one of the Bible's most misunderstood women. It portrays Jesus as more of a mystic than the church later did. 
and I can't wait to see it. But you know, this is not just a new awareness. There are those from earlier ages who also had a more expansive view of who Jesus was. One was the Muslim mystic Jalal al-Din Rumi. He wrote a poem about Jesus in the last line. He says, he was teaching in a new way. Which makes me think of these lines that you may have heard before from Rumi about seeking the truth. He said, out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. A week ago, I went to hear two women, Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, speak about their new book, which is called, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. The subtitle to their book is A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations, which many of us would think is an oxymoron these days. These two authors introduce themselves as Sarah from the left and Beth from the right, and they have fundamentally different perspectives, and they're committed to being in conversation with one another. They say that the way out of our current cultural divide is to be talking to one another and especially listening to one another, especially listening to those you disagree with. They talk about the importance of prioritizing the relationship, and they say, you have to give way sometimes. In the amped up rhetoric and the heated disagreement of these days, this is one of the things they recommend and urge. Be passionate about being reasonable. We heard Jesus say in John's Gospel that he came to testify to the truth. He says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. I hope you can hear this in a wide and inclusive way, as an invitation to belong to and to be in touch with that which is good and true and just, to seek after wisdom and mercy, to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem, to belong to the truth implies a certain maturity, doesn't it? The ability to take the wider view. So that we might, as one of our hymns says, build the common good and make our own days glad. Could this be the invitation of Holy Week? To practice being in touch with belonging to the truth. Come when it may, cost what it will. Coming down to earth, finding that place of quiet calm, where we can at least listen to those whose perspectives are different than our own. 
rather than being part of the crowd, which is so easily swayed from one way of right doing, right thinking to another. How about we listen for a deeper and quieter voice? How about we consider the lowly donkey who, as Mary Oliver writes, as usual, waited. Then he let himself be led away. Then he let the stranger mount. Never had he seen such crowds, and I wonder if he at all imagined what was to happen. Still, he was what he had always been, small, dark, obedient. I hope finally he felt brave. I hope finally he loved the man who rode so lightly upon him. As he lifted one dusty hoof and stepped as he had to forward. My spiritual companions, let us keep on moving forward. Let us keep on being brave and being patient with what is still unresolved and unfolding. May these lines from the old hymn be our prayer and give us courage and strength in these days. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Take care, my friends, this week, and remember you are part of a great and abiding love. Amen.